What's up, everyone? If you were wondering how I've done this podcast, it's based off the Anchor. All you have to do is unload the Anchor app. And even better, guys, it's free. You could also possibly be getting paid to do this. I mean, all you got to do is just download the app. Speak your mind. If you ever dreamed of making a podcast or just anything, let your voice be heard. You can also be known on Spotify, Apple, or anything download. Just go on the Anchor app. What's up, everyone? Thank y'all for joining me with Buzzing with Marlo. I am one and only Warren Marlo. Okay, okay, okay. It's Friday, ladies and gentlemen, so you know what it means. It's Friday morning. Buzzing with Marlo is up and going. New episode today. I hope everyone enjoyed my last episode last week with Hold My Beer Hanson. Uh, awesome episode. Awesome chat. Um, if people have been keeping updated with Hold My Beer Hanson, he actually just recently had a little injury. Um, we hope and pray that he gets better. Uh, we just found out an update. His ankle was just a sprained ankle. So he should be up and back and going again. So he is thankful for all the prayers and answered. But great stuff. Um, hold my beer, Hanson. Good person. Uh, nothing but great feedback on last week's episode. It's truly awesome. Uh Definitely promise everyone we will try to get him back on here sooner than later. Uh, it's always a great time chatting with him, always talking wrestling, going into knowing it's WrestleMania this weekend, guys. It's WrestleMania. And more importantly, guys, last year's WrestleMania started a platform for, for sports to continue, even without fans. We say the NBA did it. WWE did it first. In my opinion, WWE did it without fans first. And I think WWE, uh, wrestling in general, AEW, WWE, whatever we want to say, started it to where sports can continue without fan base. When I say it like that is, you didn't need fans to see entertainment. And last year, we saw, we witnessed the very first ever no fans Wrestlemania and yes it was a little weird it was crazy to see Wrestlemania held in the performance center out of all places you're expecting a stadium with almost millions of people in that building uh it's it's crazy that we had to witness that but it's probably one of their best Wrestlemanias that I could ever count on anything honestly because it was character based and the wrestling standpoint. And I think that's what made it the best it could be. And needless to say, man, we've been going nonstop for almost a, a full year now to where 
wrestling went without fan base for a long time. Then they got to the Thunderdome, made it look really good. AEW's been wrestling in front of their co-workers, which was very smart. Still had a crowd with it. And also AEW is held out in Jacksonville, Florida, where they're at least, I think it's like 10% capacity or something like that. 15%, I'm not totally sure. To where fans can still be there to watch it. It's just not a lot. But still, fans are showing up. But, ladies and gentlemen, WrestleMania this weekend. Two nights, Saturday and Sunday. Shout out to the TakeOvers. They have done an amazing job this week. Everything WWE has planned out this week, I think, is done very well. Hall of Fame, very well done. Very good stuff. It was awesome to see uh, Kane being inducted to the Hall of Fame. Rob Van Dam. Uh, if you really think about it, Rob Van Dam solidified the Monday Night War, the Monday Night Raws after the Attitude Division, in my opinion. In my opinion, um, just seeing so many good talent finally inducted into the Hall of Fame meant a lot. Seeing Titus O'Neil being inducted for the Warrior Award, I don't think anyone else could accept it better, especially being in Tampa, his home. Uh, it was just really cool, especially seeing Molly Holly out of most of them. Seeing her being inducted to the Hall of Fame was just really awesome. You could not put any woman better than Molly Holly. Molly Holly was, I say, the Cody Rhodes of the women division. Always gave got a gimmick and literally went a, above and beyond for it. May not have been the best thing, but she made the best of it. Uh, just a well, a great wrestler, good mechanic, great heel, in my opinion. Probably one, probably in the top tier of heels for females, for women's wrestling. So, just awesome to see Molly Holly finally getting inducted to the Hall of Fame. Eric Bischoff, uh, if it wasn't for Eric Bischoff, there would be no WCW, period. Uh, they would have never even gave WWF or whatever we want to call it a fight, so... Good to see Eric Bischoff finally getting inducted to the Hall of Fame. Was really cool. Uh, but yeah, man, WrestleMania, Saturday and Sunday. I'm looking so forward to it. We're also going to do a WrestleMania breakdown review after all of it goes down. So y'all stay tuned for that. But today's episode, guys, I'm going to be joined with a woman. That was told, no, was told she was not tall enough. Told that she would not make it. I'm going to be joined with Deborah Driggs. If you don't know who this woman is, she was told basically she was not going to be able to make it in modeling. She got, not only did she make it in modeling, guys, she got on commercials. She got on TV gigs. She got in movies. She got in the music videos. She's got all these great accolades. Made it to where Deborah had the opportunity of being a Playboy centerfold, guys. So today we are going to discuss basically all down that timeline of what we just said. What got her wanting to do modeling? What experiences that she got doing modeling commercials, uh, music videos? What type of music videos was she in? Um, and needless to say, guys, what was her experience like as a Playboy centerfold? We're gonna. She's gonna talk about in in very, very clear way of how her first experience was in the Playboy Mansion and how it was to obviously get in there and basically 
get prepared to do a shoot for something that could really change her life, being a Playboy girl. Because, I mean, so many girls would love to do it. So many girls, regardless of what, guys, because they didn't have internet at the time to sit here and search people and wave vengeance. So, obviously, Playboy was one of the top magazines in the world. And for her to be graced on a Playboy cover is just second to none. So, and then lastly, guys, we're going to talk about life after being a Playboy centerfold. So, guys, I ain't going to waste no more time. So, when we come back, guys, we will be joined with Deborah Driggs. All right, I want to give a major shout out to KC Graphics. Um, they literally are phenomenal. I just had them do my Wild Boys flags for upcoming for Panama. Uh, phenomenal look. They did a, such a great job, detailed everything. And not only do they do flags, guys, they do backpacks, uniforms, wedding invitations, pictures, you name it. If you want it, they will make it. Uh, they will not disappoint you. And if you need to get a hold of them check them out on facebook and instagram at kc graphics design uh, that is kc graphics design i'm telling y'all y'all will not be disappointed uh they do phenomenal check them out kc graphics by deborah driggs how are you doing hi i'm doing really well how are you Doing better now. I was wondering if it was going to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's always technical difficulties. That's the world we live in. Oh, man. It's 2021. You know, everything's based off technology. <laughs> yep. yep. So how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing great. It's beautiful here in L.A. Weather's oh, gorgeous. It's clear. I'm looking out the window right now. It's just beautiful. Yeah, that's that's good. I mean, knowing that I live in Florida, we decided to have a cold weather again for one day. It's it's so crazy now because literally two days ago, it was back in the 80s. Now we're back to 65. So it's like, okay, are we ever going to pick a time to be like, all right, now it's time for spring weather. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. There we go. I'm in California. Uh, I am born and raised. I've lived here my whole life. Okay. All right, Deborah. I know a little bit about you. Go ahead and tell the world a little bit about yourself. Oh, my God. Tell the world. <laughs> okay, world. Here we go. Hold on. Um, so, you know, I'm born and raised in California. Grew up in, you know, somewhat dysfunctional family. Both parents, you know, they got married very young. My mother was 18. My father was 21. And so, you know, the odds of this being a success story were against them. And, uh, you know, my mom had me when she was 19. And I just always just did not feel a part of, you know, and I grew up with attention being my first addiction. You know, I just needed everybody's attention and everybody's love. And I would do anything to get it, you know. And so there's no accident that I ended up in the entertainment business, doing commercials, modeling, acting. And uh, as you know, ending up in Playboy magazine mm -hmm. as a centerfold and, and cover girl for the magazine 
on several covers. So, you know, I think that that, uh, you know, the thing that I'm grateful for, you know, is that the way I was brought up and the experiences that I had as a child led me to really hustle as an adult and as a teen, you know, to pave my way. Yeah, kind of, like obviously, uh, well, me with my background from professional wrestling, we use the terminology pay your dues. And it just basically builds you stronger to get you prefer, get you ready for that that pers- that personification and stuff like that. So I love how you said you basically had to learn from the ground up to basically hustle. Um, you said something about Playboy. How did you get into that? So I was modeling. I, you know, so first off, you know, I'm five six, and um, I started modeling in my, you know, probably twenty twenty one is when I really I told everybody I'm going to model, and you know, my family was and friends were like, you know, Deb, models are five ten, they're beautiful, like you're you're five six, and I said I'm going to model, and so I signed with this agent in Orange County called Style Model Agency. And wouldn't you know, you know, I started booking and I started doing swimwear and, you know, commercial modeling. And I became Ocean Pacific's um, model for their catalog and and a lot of their stuff, a lot of their advertisements. And and so, you know, it was I was always out to prove you wrong, you know, which is a good thing and a bad thing. You know, I mean, the good thing was, is I hustled. It was like if you told me I couldn't do something, watch out. That just gave me fuel to do it. And so then from there, I signed with an agent in Los Angeles. I signed with Mary Webb Davis. And I had just the most lovely agent. Uh, Her name was Vivian. And she called me one day and she said, Playboy is doing a book called The Lingerie Book. And they would like to have you come in you know, go see for the cover of this book. And I said, well, you know, is there nudity involved? You know, because that's what you associate Playboy mm-hmm. with. Yeah. And and she said, no, this is for the cover. It's legit. Like they really want to they really want to meet you. So I show up to the famous building on Sunset and went in, signed in. They called me back. They handed me a robe and said, here, go change and put the robe on and we'll call you when we're ready. And I said, oh, no, I. I'm not here for that. I'm here for the lingerie book for the cover. And they said, yeah, everything we do has some nudity. Like we need to see your body. And I said, I don't think I'm here for the right thing. I I was told there is no nudity. They said, well, we still need to see your body. So I left my undergarments on. I went to go do the Polaroid. And then again, the photographer and everybody in the room was like, we need to see your body. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm being duped here, you know, like, no, I'm not here for that. I'm here for the lingerie. I kept saying this over and over. They must have thought I was crazy because most girls are just dying to get in there. You know, they've got thousand girls waiting to do this Polaroid and to be in the magazine. And I really was very naive. I didn't know anything about Playboy at the time, except, you know, that it was a beautiful magazine, but I didn't know anything about the magazine or what 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 it was about so i did the polaroid i was difficult i left i never took off my undergarments i got i said wow that was weird so i left 
The minute I got home, I had a message on my answering machine from Marilyn Krabowski, the chief editor of Playboy. And she was like, Deborah, this is Marilyn Krabowski. We would like for you to come in and test to be a centerfold playmate. And I'm thinking, this has got to be a joke. Like, I'm really being set up right now. You know, mm-hmm. this this can't be right. So I call my agent and she's like, yeah, it's true. They really, they, I just got off the phone. They want you to come in and test to be a centerfold. And I said, well, is this something you would recommend me doing? And she's like, well, Deborah, I will tell you, it is the number one magazine in the world. They probably get over a thousand submissions a day from girls all over the world that want to be in this magazine. And, you know, this is back in 1989. You know, it was a different world. This is before social media, before you could go online and find anybody. So, you know, I asked a few people in my life and I did the test and half approved my test and said, shoot her for March 90. And next thing I knew, I was shooting my layout and it was like a whirlwind, you know? So that's how it happened. You know, I, I, I never thought of myself as centerfold material, but you know, the more I learn about Playboy and the more I, you know, have come to respect the magazine over the years and Hef's vision, I realized I was the girl next door. I did fit the the mold for what they were really looking for. I am that funny girl next door, the 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 girl that you could ask out on a date, the approachable girl. And that's what they were looking for. That's I, the one part I got to say, way to hold your hold your ground on telling them, hey, I'm not that type of person. I'm not there for that reason. And I'm sure a lot of girls would have been like, yeah, no problem. Like that's playboy. So obviously nine times out of 10, you're expecting, all right, top nine times, like literally like it's playboy. So, and I was literally about to ask you, what was that experience? But obviously if they were being that pushy, obviously it was not the greatest first experience. Well, you know, <laughs> the, the, the good news about, I think there's a part of me that just doesn't take anything too seriously. I don't, I don't, you know, I try really hard to have a sense of humor about things. And I mm-hmm. think that has served me a lot in my life. So I mm-hmm. kind of felt like I, like I said, like, I, I was like, is this a joke? I feel like someone's like, they're playing a joke on me. Like, yeah, let's send her to Playboy, you know? And like, it just felt like, it just felt like I was in a dream. Like, okay, go take off your clothes and put on the robe. And I'm thinking, this is like, that audition that you are scared of, you know, that you, you, you know, is going to happen at some point in your career and it's boom happening. And, but you know, the, the really interesting thing is when I look back on it, how casual everybody was in that environment, because they were so used to women just coming in and, and just, you know, wanting so bad to be a centerfold or have any part of Playboy that they were all waiting to, 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 so they were looking at me like, girl, what are you here for? You know what I mean? Like, it was almost like I was misplaced. And, and so, you know, what happened is, is I ended up becoming Miss March 1990. And it was a whirlwind. Um, obviously, meeting Hef and learning about his life was the highlight and you know 
going to the mansion for events and all the work that I that I got asked to do because of it and the shows that I got to appear on and appearances that were brought to me that, you know, would have, they were opportunities that I would never have gotten if I mm -hmm. hadn't been chosen to be in the magazine. And I think, you know, Hef knew that, you know, Hef was really, if you really look, you know, he wasn't, he, he wasn't about, I'm going to do a magazine where I can put nude women. That really wasn't his intention for the magazine. The magazine was really for men to learn how to be men and learn how to be a playboy and learn how to dress and learn what to drink and what to smoke and music. And it was a the whole magazine encompassed a lifestyle for men that included a centerfold, you know, the girl of the month. And this is the girl, you know. And so it wasn't really just based around that. And yeah. no, not my, based on the porn, basically. Yeah, no, not at all. That was not the intention at all. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I think the first Playmate, and I don't know if I'm going to get this correct, so you'll have to Google it after, but I believe his first centerfold was a girl that was working in his office in Chicago. And he, and he looked at her and he said, you should be a, you should be a Playmate, our first Playmate. And I think her last name was Paige and if I, or Pilgrim or something, but she was, you know, and that just tells the story right there. It wasn't, he wasn't looking for porn, porn type situations. He was looking for the girl next door. Mm -hmm. The obtainable girl, the girl you could ask out and, and, um, you know, and then I, you know, as, as the universe would have it, my issue, Donald Trump is on the cover of my issue. So it's now a collector's item. And I have received. I <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have received. I put that one, but I was like, uh, I don't know. Let me make sure she's going to want that one or whatever she's going to do. Because I saw that one. I was like, okay, that's actually pretty doggone cool. <laughs> Regardless of how, which way this is going. Like, you to be on the cover just put. With well, that particular person now, that's even cooler in ways. Yeah, and by the way, what's really cool about it is that Hef only had a few men that ever appeared on the cover. So Burt Reynolds, Donald Trump, Jerry Seinfeld, and maybe one other, you know. So men were not really ever on the cover. And so any of the issues that have a male on the cover is a collector's item to begin with. And then when you add now that man became the president of the United States, all of a sudden these last two years, I've gotten more fan mail than I did when I was actually a centerfold. You know, really? I've got, oh yeah, I have stacks of mail to sign. So every day I'll, I'll do two or three and send it out. And yeah, it's yeah. crazy you know, the amount of fan mail, because now it's a collector's item. You know, it, it, like I said, so the fact that very few men were on the cover and then you've got Donald Trump, who's now the, you know, a past president. And yeah, I, I, I just think it's incredible that I, that just happens to be my issue. So, you know. Oh, but the one thing I was wanting to ask you is like, knowing that you were, one of the Playboy models, the centerfold models and stuff like that. And like how you just said, like, Hef had a reason for these magazines. They were not just to show nude girls, whatever. 
No. Um, what ex what experiences did you get? Obviously, when you were around those years with being the centerfold of Playboy, like did that give you great vibes also, or did that also give you possibly some negative things in the past too? Because obviously, people saw it as Playboy as oh, new girls. Yeah. No. Of course, there's going to be there's going to be opinions on both sides of the fence. But mm -hmm. for me, most of it was positive. You know, I got asked to be on Oprah Winfrey. I got asked to do the Vicky show. I got asked to do a Bob Hope special. So, you know, the doors definitely opened up and, and my auditions really, you know, I went from maybe having one or two auditions a week to probably five to 10 auditions because everybody was interested. And so in that regard, yes. And then as far as, you know, when you, be, you know, Hef's intention also, and I don't, you know, it changed over the years, but when I was a centerfold, we had promotions. So his hope was that the playmates would do things in regards to the military and, you know, do promotions where um, we would show up and sign autographs and we would talk about the magazine and you know if if the if the military needed you know uh some sort of um you know they needed to have some positive vibes or whatever you know it's like you know how marilyn monroe and 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 bob hope you know they would do the tours for the military and so he he would get the playmates involved with that you know to help bring up the morale and, you know, so it wasn't just, you know, and, and, you know, I would get asked at times, you know, they would call me and say, hey, Deb, could you give a tour of the mansion? And that was one of my favorite things to do, believe it or not. You know, it didn't pay a lot, but it wasn't really about the money because it, there was so much history. I not say that they've been in the Playboy Mansion. So, yeah, yeah, it was, it was really about the history and, you know, and giving that tour, you know, because they had full-time zookeepers and, you know, and taking people through the, the, uh, the grotto and just all the famous things that you hear about, you know, and when you're walking through it, you realize you're walking through a time in history, you know, somebody who had a vision, who was a creator, who, who really created something that was, in such need, you know, I mean, he paved the way for so many artists, not just his magazine, but his magazine allowed other artists to express opinions. And, and, you know, I mean, in the fifties and sixties, he had a show called the Playboy Penthouse and, you know, his first guest was, um, I'm going to, uh, El Fitzgerald, you know, and, and a lot of the a lot of the networks in the South wouldn't show it, you know, and so you know he paved the way for a lot of artists. And he said, "Well, we're going to continue, and we're going to continue no matter what." And there's something to be said for somebody like that who has a vision. Yeah, that, that's awesome how you said that about him, and just how the purpose of Playboy really was. Because, like you said, there's always going to be the positive and negatives with it, and. And I'm new. I'm very sure that everyone's probably asked you numerous times, like, how was that experience in the mansion? How was Hef and stuff like that? Is because a lot of people we've only seen it on TV. 
So it's not like we've actually personally visually seen the Playboy Mansion because I know it's very limited for a lot of people to actually go in and check this place out because I've heard numerous people say that it is a larger than life experience. Like you can feel the legacy that's in that house in general. It's crazy to just believe like, wow, like you just do an acting career and people not believing in you because you're only five foot six. And I've actually seen some models that literally are a lot shorter and probably a lot better looking than most of these tall ones that, yeah, everyone's real pretty and stuff, but there is some short ones that really could go really far. Obviously just has that, that it factor when it comes to modeling. Um, How long were you in the modeling gig before you actually got your first playboy? Uh, Before I did Playboy, I had been modeling for, gosh, at least for four years, steady. Yeah. So, yeah, I had been doing modeling and commercials, you know, at least four years before Playboy was even mentioned to me. And um, and then what do you prefer? What do you prefer? Commercials or modeling? I love commercials. I, 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 my agent used to laugh. He's like, you're like, I loved it. Cause I, I would book one out of three, you know, I'd go on three <laughs> and I'd book one. And I was, I had the same agent for years. He, he was, uh, I was signed with Sutton, Barth and Venari and Neil Kreppel was my agent. And then when he left and opened commercial talent, I went with him. And mm-hmm. I mean, he had me since I was, you know, in my early twenties, and to this day, we're still friends. So, yeah, I did a lot of commercials with him. A lot of car commercials, a lot of beer commercials, a lot of music videos. You know, I love that. I love it. I, really? I love, you know, I'm a I'm a attention-seeking girl. So, you know. I could, I could definitely tell, like, hey, you really wanted to be known. And that's freaking sweet. Like, what, what music videos were you in? Well, I was the main one that I did was Devo. You know, I was Devo's, I was Donut. I was his girlfriend in all his videos. And, um, you know, a lot of the music videos I did, and I was thinking about this, I was like, I cannot remember, you know, there was one where I was on a swing and they put a wig on me and I have hair down to my, you know, below my <laughs> waist. And and I was swinging, this was in 1990, and it was some rock band. And I'm like, I couldn't tell you, you know, I just remember propaganda. I think it was propaganda films were at that time, they were famous for casting a lot of the music videos. And then, you know, I, I was the VJ for Playboy's Hot Rocks. And that was one of my favorite, favorite things to do because, you know, I was like, this is a fun job. Like, you know, everything led to something else. You know, it's like, you think you're going to start out doing one thing and then you do something else and you realize, Hey, I'm actually really good at this. And so, you know, I started doing that and then tried my tried my way in film acting and film acting's really, you know, that's a tough gig. You know, you you really have to have your chops for that and you know, and really study and 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 you know, everybody thinks they're going to be an actor and then, you know, the work that's required is it's tremendous. It's a tremendous amount of work and it's a big job. So, I don't know. I really like that business a lot. I carry my SAG card till this day because that to me was, you know, the biggest thing I had to to do was get my SAG card. You know, it's like, you know, anybody who's starting out in the in the business of wanting to be an actor, 
all we talk about is how are we going to get our SAG card? You know, it's a catch 22. You can't work unless you have one and you can't, and you need one to, you can't work unless you have one. And it's really, you got to work to get one. Right. So it's, it's a catch 22. And um, so that's the thing I'm really most proud of is that I finally got my SAG card and I, you know, it's funny, I haven't worked in years, but I keep it, you know, and I pay the dues and I keep it because you never know. I mean, that's a huge accomplishment. That's really, honestly, that's a huge accomplishment because that can, I mean, it's kind of like a driver's license. Like, obviously you need to have that to drive. Um, for you to be an official actor and actress, and I've actually had some people on here that have done that and they haven't had their SAG card. And they were telling me just like how hard it is to really get that thing. And I was just like, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so uh, let's go talk about a little bit of the acting gigs. Um, what experiences did you have doing those? Well, you know what? You learn how to you learn how to be on a set. You learn what it's like to be. You know, there's so much that goes on mm-hmm. behind the scenes with lighting, the 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 camera movement, the just all the different moving parts and. You learn how to be on a set. You learn the etiquette of being on a set and when it's appropriate for you to talk to somebody and ask a question and you learn who does what, you know, what, what is this person's job? What it, you know, everybody is there to be of service on, on a creative process. And so I think that is the, the, the biggest thing is learning how to, how to, you know, be on a set. And, and that it's not all about you, you know, even though you're, you're acting in something, it's not all about you. There's, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of people that are being creative, not just the actors, you know, there's editors and the cinematographer and the director and everybody's, everybody's got a piece of the puzzle. And then, you know, you have this great finished product at the end. So that was, I think the biggest kind of eye-opening, you know, I was really young when I was on my first set. I was an extra. This is funny. I, before I got my set card, I was an extra on a movie. I think it was called My Funny Valentine or something like that. But uh, maybe, I don't know. I'll have to think of what the name of it was. But Scott Valentine was the star of the movie and Dee Dee Pfeiffer. And it was kind of like a comedy horror film. I'm trying to think the name is not in my head right now, but it was like, you know, in 1986 or something. And I was an extra and I kept, I was begging the director to just give me one line to get my SAC card. This is what we did back then. And uh, I didn't get my SAC card, but that was the first real movie set I was on. And I remember just thinking, wow, this is, it's a lot of waiting around, you know, the days are long. It's not as glamorous as you think it is. It's a lot of work. And, you know, you could be there through the middle of the night, you know. And so that's the life you're signing up for when you're signing up to be in the entertainment world. You know, it's it's the glamour is there a little bit, but really it's it's work. It's show business, you know, it's business and 
And that was the my first experience. And I thought, wow, this is this is intense because I remember just sitting there for hours. And I finally learned from now on when I went to sets to do a job, I knew that there the waiting was <laughs> the waiting is like it's so because things go wrong. Right. And by the time they get to you or whatever it is you're doing on the set, you know, it could be hours. So, you know, you learn to bring a book, you learn to study while you're on set and you learn to just keep up your morale, you know, and take care of yourself because there is a lot of waiting around. Um, you just mentioned that. Um, were you like in the area where the set was taking place or were you like in like one of those little rooms or something like that where waiting on your turn basically? Yeah, you you know, you have you you have a trailer or you have a room depending on where you're filming and you know, you just wait till you're called for your scene. And oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it can't be. It can't be. That's like, that's like saying, like, I mean, I waited like almost an hour one day for just my haircut, but man, just imagine that is like, oh my gosh, I'd be losing my mind. Like, yeah. in the generation now, just the way how we promote caffeine and all this energy drinks and stuff like that, I'm like sitting there thinking, like, oh my gosh, you would be scared to even take one, drink one of those because your energy would be out before you're even ready to go. Like it's yeah. crazy to see like how the generations have changed on some of these stuff like that. And it's like, Ooh, I yeah. can only imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <been> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's interesting. And, you know, and I got to experience performing in front of a live audience. Cause I did a couple of pilots that were filmed live. And that's always exciting because if you mess up, they really get upset. They don't. They really don't like it when you mess up because they don't want to have to start over. And you know, so those things move pretty quickly. And yes, it was really interesting. And you know, I have to say, you know, I'm always really grateful for all those experiences and the people that I got to meet and work with. And you know, I have just such fond memories of all of that. And um, you know. I actually really enjoyed studying acting, you know, being in my two year Meisner class, you know, and learning the craft was that was actually, you know, a really good memory because, you know, that's where, you know, I really got an appreciation for what acting was really all about. Not just, you know, showing up and doing a couple of lines, but actually really learning how to break down a character, break down a monologue, break down a scene, stay in the moment, you know, just things like that, that were, you know, it's like anything, it's practice. You know, you're not going to be a great basketball player if you're not practicing your free throws every day. Mm-hmm. And you being a wrestler, no, you can't compete you, if you're not. I mean, it's different standpoint on that, but in a way acting and wrestling were kind of the same things because you had to work on your emotions. You had to really work on basically showing the crowd how you felt so like even if like like how we are happy mood right now and there could be a scene like hey you have to show like somebody just died in front of me and i'm just sitting there thinking like man how exhausting that really would have to be because you're gonna have to psych yourself out from being a very happy good mood to you gotta treat that like oh my gosh i just lost somebody and that can be really difficult at times like in ways Faking stuff is a very tough thing deal to do. And that's what I tell people all the time. Like, 
that's the hardest thing I had to learn from wrestling, even though I was wearing a mask, was emotions. Like, you had to really show emotion to make this crowd believe it. Because, obviously, now, this generation now, we've got the backstory, oh, wrestling, you do this, you slap the thigh when you kick and all that. You got to make that stuff sound like when you when they're at the show, it's like they've never seen that before. And that's not easy to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, you, so with your, you know, I have a sport background as well. You know, I grew up figure skating and mm -hmm. I always say, you know, in a lot of interviews and in my book, I mentioned this quite a bit because ice skating saved my life. That sport gave me so much discipline and structure and self-esteem and it taught me how to work with others and and listen to my coach and take direction and all the things you need when you're on a movie set you know because mm -hmm. if you're not directable if you don't take direction well you're not going to make it as an actor you know i mean taking direction that's really, is that's really anything if you're not coachable or able to take i would say constructive criticism a lot there's a lot of things that just you're not made for if you're not able to take stuff like that yeah exactly and i have a great story about that because i before i started my acting class i went to audition for charles in charge it was a pretty popular tv show in the 80s and i went to the universal lot to audition for to it was i think it was a part to play uh, scotty bayo's girlfriend on the show and I walked in and I'll never forget the casting director. We hit it off. Tell me about yourself. We had a great conversation. And then I went to read the part and he literally stopped me. And he said, Deb, come here, sit down. And he's like, you know, when you walked into my office, I said, that's the girl. He goes, I would have hired you on the spot based on your look, your personality, just the way you, your, your energy is. But girl, you cannot act. And he's the reason, really, you know, I took his criticism and I took his, he literally said, go learn how to act. You'll have a career. But girl, you don't know how to act. And he and he said, you're so green. He goes, but you have so many other attributes. Like you're so good and personable. And you like, I would have hired you on the spot. So if you go learn how to act, you'll have a better chance. And I took what he said and I did it. And I went and signed up for a two-year acting program. And because I knew that he wasn't, he wasn't blowing smoke. He was really, really trying to get across to me, like, you could have a career if you take it seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, and everything had come really easy to me up to that point you know, any commercial, anything I auditioned for, people are like, yeah, you know, they'd call my agent. They would love her. We're going to hire her because I just had a really nice, vivacious, fun, you know, spunky personality. You know, I was fun to work with. I was fun to be around. But for serious acting and serious roles, I just wasn't I wasn't there. And it was like he was the first person that literally stopped me in my tracks and said, you know, this is what you need to do. And I did it. And um did and, you kind of leave that mindset like how, you know, the saying, why fix it if it ain't broken? Did that kind of like go to that type of standpoint? And obviously when you met that person, it kind of just like, okay, now I got to rearrange my gameplay. Well, I didn't have that mindset quite yet because I was very young. And I just, I just knew that 
I wanted, you know, I, I, I never thought I wanted to be a serious actress. I liked doing commercials and I liked doing my commercial print stuff and some of the modeling I was doing. And I was doing well with that. And so when I started to go out on acting auditions, I didn't know that I wanted to do that. But when he sat me down, it was like, oh, maybe I do want to do this and maybe I should take it seriously and and give it a shot. And, you know, um, it's it's a really you know, it's a it's a it's a tough business. And, you know, I, I got I got to work a little bit, not a lot. I don't have a huge amount of experience. I auditioned quite a bit and I got to meet some pretty amazing casting directors and producers. But, you know, I would say that I, I kind of fell out of line when I got married and started my family. And the more that I became a mother and all of that, I kind of, I kind of lost my place in line, so to speak. And you know, it's, you know, acting really takes up a hundred percent of your time. Oh yeah. Trust me. Uh, that's actually, I, I tell people all the time, my wrestling career kind of dropped down a little bit, obviously with my health, but I got a lot of reality check when my daughter was born and yeah. that was because I had a son and I mean, but me and his mom weren't together and it was a bad relationship type scenario. And, um, I only got him maybe three or four times out of a year. So obviously my wrestling career was not really going to be affected to that because I, I got him partially. And sometimes I'd work a lot of shows in Georgia just so I could be close to him because he yeah. was eight hours away from me. And it was like, but when I got my daughter and obviously with me being married and stuff like that, you start realizing you have to put what your mindset is to something else because now you're not just doing this for yourself. You're doing this for your family. Yes. You have to put them before you in ways you do. I mean, obviously there's, I might have some wrestlers on my messenger after they listen to this and be like, uh, I have a family and I still did. I get that, but you have to have a different mindset into this. And it's a lot of time consuming. And I love how you just said, like, when you realized when you were becoming a mom and stuff, you just saw there was a different perspective than what you had, obviously, before, because obviously before you were just doing it for yourself. Yep, but now exactly. you got married and now you have a daughter. It, it changes. If I mean, in reality, when we all joke around saying, hey, man, when you have a family it kind of like drops out of that dream scenario. It, I mean, honestly, you that's even more more achievement to me knowing that I have my daughter and my son and my wife than obviously all the accomplishments that I've had in my past yeah. in ways because obviously I just built a foundation for me. Like I have yeah. now obviously what we all grow up to wanting in life. Like obviously yeah. I don't think anyone's ever grown up saying, Hey, I don't ever want to be married or something. Like that. There might be some people, but when you're young, you're sitting there thinking like, Hey, I want to have a family on my own. And now when you have it, you realize like what's really matters to you. Yes. Yeah. I, I, my biggest joke was that, you know, I, I thought my life was so full and busy before I had my kids. And then I had my, my first <laughs> child. And I, and I, and I remember I used to say to people, what was I doing before I had this child? Like, I thought my life was so full and busy, but I, I, having a child, I was like having a baby. I was like, Oh my God, 
every minute of my day was consumed and I was like, what was you I doing? Got, you got, you was... got a little example, obviously, from my perspective, why it's just today. So it definitely yeah. does take some time. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh my God, this is like an all-consuming job. Like who knew? Like, and and also to be so selfless, like I'm just completely living for this other human being right now. You know, so yeah, it's it was very, very interesting. But yeah, so you know, and I had three babies back to back, so that just, wow. that was it. You know, that, that became my life, you know, being you a full-time mom. Big, didn't you? <laughs> I you went big. Went big. <laughs> Everything in my life was go big or go home, you know, man, do this, let's do it. Oh man. You're just like, look, if it's painful enough, all right, just get it over with. How many you want? Let's just finish it now. Cause this is not happening anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'll tell you, that is my that was my favorite job. You know, I love being a mom and I wouldn't have traded any of that. You know, I really lucked out with 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 my kids and my family for sure. I'm I want to say how proud I'm sure a lot of people would be of you on this. Um, now, what you are doing is totally different compared to all the accomplishments that you have had. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So after. Um, you know, I was married. And then in 2003, my marriage came to an end. By 2004, I was divorced. And I had to work for the first time in my life. I had to work what I would say, not, a, I hate saying this, because it's not like acting and modeling wasn't a real job, but I now had to work. And I had never done anything else besides acting, modeling, commercials. That's all I knew. And I had worked high school jobs and things like that, but never a job job, nine to five. And I found myself now going, okay, I need to work and make money. So I did a few different things, real estate, uh, got into the print packaging procurement business, and then life insurance. And life insurance, I had really lots of success and 2011, 12, and 13, really successful, got into the top 5% of my business, especially for women, but all around in the country, I was in the top 5%. And, you know, how does that happen? You know, I, I, I Those had are really to... tough jobs. Those are really tough gigs because obviously how you say insurance and stuff like that, they can be a make it or break it type gig. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, it was, you know, I had to have the mindset of just pure, maniacal hustle. You know, this is what I was doing. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it big, you know, like anything else. I'm going to make it, make it as far as I possibly can. And, you know, how I did that was I, I just had a philosophy. I was not going to take no as the final, final and when people said no, I said, okay. In my head, it was always no means maybe. And I was really persistent. And, and one of the stories is when I first got my license and I started out, I called somebody in the entertainment world that I knew from my previous career. And I said, look, if I get you as a client, I know you'll refer me a lot of business. But if I, I need to get you as a client to get my business rolling. And he's like, Deborah, no, I already have life insurance. I don't need it. And I, you know, I have a friend that does my life insurance and I said, okay, well, what if I can lower your premiums? What if I can 
what if I can do something that would make it better and add more value? And he's like, Deborah, no, it's, it's all done. You know, I just, you know, he just didn't see me this way. I said, Uh okay, well, guess what? I'll call you next week because who knows, something might change. And he's like, Deborah, I said, like, no, I'm not going to do it. And sure enough, I called him the next following week. And I said, did anything change? And he just laughed. And I said, he goes, okay, what is it that you want me to do? And I said, just let me do an audit. And if I can lower your premiums, you have no choice but to switch to me. And he goes, well, how are you going to do that? And so I proceeded to tell him what I knew so far, you know, because I just really dove into my business and where the mistakes take place. Cause I said, where, where can I add more value for people? And so I explained it to him and he's like, okay, let's see if this works. And sure enough, it came back. I saved him 18% on his premiums. He switched. And then sure enough, he referred a lot of people to me and he would literally say to those people, just let her do your insurance. She's not going to leave you alone. And <laughs> literally, I mean, he's selling me now. You know what I mean? Well, like, I mean, like your catchphrase, obviously, for your gig, like she's yeah. not going to you're not going to tell her no. <laughs> yeah. So he, he was selling me. I didn't have to do anything. And so, you know, and and the other thing is <laughs> I'm very fortunate because I have that background that I had those connections and a lot of people in the entertainment world have to have insurance um, in that business, you know, for many reasons uh, to go on tour to a lot of production companies require it. And so I lucked out that I just happened to be in the right place at the right time and selling what I was selling to who I was selling and, and, you know, and then just, making sure that everybody knew. And I, I tell this, that, you know, sales is really hard. You know, anything you're trying to sell, it's just hard. If you go on a hundred calls, you might get one or two sales. Mm-hmm. So I always say to people, don't worry about actually making the sale. What you really need to do is make sure that everybody in your life, in your email, in your phone, in your contacts, in your world, Make sure everybody knows what you're doing Mm -hmm. because it always comes up in conversation. You and I could be having a conversation and you could be like, you know, I've been looking for a really good water filter. And I could say to you, oh, my God, I know somebody that sells them and they're the best. That's the point. It's like once you put it in the universe and you let everybody know what you're doing, that's half the battle. You know, don't I always say don't focus on making a sale. Focus on networking and establishing relationships and letting people know what you do. And that's why, you know, I chose the person I chose to go to and say, look, this is what I'm doing because he was a friend and we already had a relationship Mm -hmm. and he knew I was a hard worker and, and, you know, and I, and, and I always, and I really, you know, I also have this really good gift of knowing who to have in my life as a mentor or who to, if I'm going to sell insurance, I'm going to do it with the best. You know, I'm not going to just sell it with anybody. I'm going to, I'm going to go to the best person who's number one in that, in that industry and, and say, look, I I have my license and I'll work with you. Why, you know, I don't need to reinvent anything. 
but here's, that's, I have all these connections and, and that's what it's all about. Anybody in sales is going to tell you this. That's what it's all about. Do you think it also successfully in the standpoint, obviously from the area that you're in? Like California, is that very easier kind of way to business like that up and rolling off the ground? Well, I don't, I don't, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that where you are should matter because every, every area would have its own unique way of doing mm -hmm. business. You know, my, my area just happens to be where the entertainment world is, but yeah. you know, if I was in Franklin, Tennessee, I would figure out what worked there, you know, what works in Franklin, Tennessee, you know, every, you, and you have to adapt to wherever you are. If I'm yep. selling in, in, in Texas, I'm going to sell different than if I'm selling in New York. And if I'm in New York, I'm going to sell different than I'm selling in LA. So just, you have to adapt to where you are. Just know your surroundings, basically. Yeah. Know your surroundings and know your customer, really know your customer. Yeah. Who are you? Who is your customer? Who are you selling to? And how are you going to add value over your competitors? You know, I love it. That, this has been awesome. That is crazy. Like, yeah, I've, obviously in Florida area. I well, the reason why I said that, because obviously the people that you do to get you started on that thing, because some of the times when you see like someone do, selling insurance out in my area or something, you're thinking first thing it's a scam because just how it looks, how it sounds in ways you're just sitting there. I'm like, it's too good to be true. Like, what, what do you, what is your resume show on this? And then when you hear some of it and it's just like, eh, I still don't know if I'm clicking on that standpoint on that part. So it's just like, that's one reason why I was curious. Like is LA would probably be an easier area for something like that. Just because yeah. like how you said, the entertainment business out there, everyone needs it. <laughs> everyone yeah. needs it. <laughs> yeah. And, and to, to add to that, you know, I would say as a consumer, your job is to whenever you feel like, is this for real? If you have that feeling, it probably isn't. And mm -hmm. I would say then go get three or four different other opinions and compare, compare, yeah. and just take that as the, the you know, because, you know, there are a lot of people that aren't doing, you know, we, well, there's scams in all businesses, but you know, if you have that it's feeling now this year, <laughs> yeah, so if you have that feeling, you're usually right on the money. Exactly. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, so that's how a Playboy centerfold went from gracing the covers of Playboy to becoming the top 5% of sales in the life insurance industry. It's, it's, you can't write this stuff. That's a script. <laughs> You, you, know? literally just gotta, you literally could make a movie based off of this lifestyle because that, that's crazy to believe. Like, because obviously how people somewhat would see this. And I mean, obviously, it's probably not this way. But obviously, because I mean, if you think about that TV show that have had a long time ago with the four girls, the four blondes, and they were and you sat there and thought like, man, these girls are really ditzy, like really like what's up with this? You would never see them as obviously doing a nine to five gig in ways like you're just sitting there. I'm like, yeah, in a business standpoint, I don't think they would last. Long. And which yeah. some of them have proven people wrong. Some people have like, you know what? Maybe it was just a show what they were on TV on because now they're kicking ass wherever they're at. Of course. Um, 
So, I mean, it's just crazy to just really see their true perspective of, yeah, you can do stuff like that, but it doesn't mean you're dumb as a box of rocks because honestly you have so much talent to whatever background you're doing. Like how you just said, you have to adapt to what you're doing. You have well, to adapt I always, to I always, doing. my biggest joke was when I really got into the business side of things and started having a little success here and there with business, I said, you know, I really miss my calling. I should have been an agent or a manager or a producer. <laughs> like, I really should have been on the other side, on the business side, because I didn't really, you know, I never thought of myself as smart. You know, the first time I, I thought, well, I'm kind of smart is when I passed my real estate exam. You know, this is a girl, I barely graduated high school, you know, and I didn't have, I did maybe a year of junior college. And so in 2006, when I took my real estate exam, you know, I was petrified because there was a huge math portion and I studied so hard because I was so nervous. And of course I did the best on the math portion and, and I passed my first time around and it was the first time really that I actually patted myself on the back and I said, wow, I'm smart. You know, <laughs> like I, I'm actually really smart and I never looked at myself that way. And so I'm kind of glad that all these things happened to me the way they happened to me, because I would have never known that, you know, it, it built your character in ways it built you a stronger person. Totally. Every encounter that you had, because totally. I mean, the, way, the way you have told me things today, it's just like it blows my mind like man just imagine how strong this girl is now like okay. i've seen some of the background like how you just said you did figure skating and stuff and i've seen you doing a lot of athletic sports and stuff like that so obviously you were very active of whatever you did you were very passionate of what you've done yeah yep so yeah so i'm just completely blessed i've had a very interesting ride i've traveled the world i've met very interesting amazing people i've been humbled several times. I've been brought to my knees. I've stood on the top of mountains that I've hiked. You know, I've been down, I've been up and it's all been an amazing ride. And my book will be released probably the end of this summer. And, you know, I just talk about the ups and downs and, you know, and what, how you keep going and you know, and I've been down very low at certain points in my life where I didn't think I could continue to go. I just thought this is it. I can't. I think a lot of us have. We I all really have. Think we all have. have. I'm not special in any way. In any way, I'm just sharing my story to say, Ooh. if I can help you, great. You know, that's my job. Um, but yeah, well, I'm not special in any way what's, whatsoever. I mean, we've all had really hard times and if my book can help somebody out there that's suffering, then I did my job. So. Oh yeah. I, I, that's how, like I saw as wrestling. Like, honestly, here's the funny thing. Everybody asks me all the time. Like, how did I get into wrestling? The reason why, because I think I, t I kind of said a little bit, my son. And like I said, me and his mom weren't together because she up and left with him. And um, I'd had no contact with them for almost a year. And it was really, <laughs> I literally would tell you that is the toughest part of my life that I've ever had to witness anything. And I'm just 21 years old when this is going on. And it's like, I really, my character got built up from all those moments in that day. Because honestly, I look at it now every day. I'm like, if I would have been like the typical person that literally said my life is over type scenario. I probably wouldn't be here. 
Yeah. And like stuff like that really makes you believe a lot of things of what go on. So the funny thing is I saw this guy and I thought that he only ran the promotion, but obviously he was a wrestler. And I was like, you know what? I've always loved WWE. Why not try? Just say I've done it. I'm thinking the ring is like a tent, uh, like one of those trampolines and stuff like that. Absolutely not. Um, it is straight boards, and the padding is literally like how they'll put it. Um, the padding on the boards is kind of, it's kind of like thick enough to where you see like on bed sheets. So literally, that is the only support that you really have on most of the rings out there. Obviously, in Georgia, you're basically wrestling in a boxing ring and things, so you really have no support there. So I had to really get out of that mindset, knowing okay. And then my, my biggest mistake was when I went up to the guy and said, so how do I fake hit you? He actually decked me completely, said, uh, did, did that look fake to you? And I was like, no, not really. And he, and he was like, well, that, that's how it should be. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like I got a whole different perspective into that. But I got into it just to try. And I got into really loving it, and I got into being more experienced in it. I got really big in it without me even expecting to do anything with it because all I thought of was like, Hey, I'm going to graduate the wrestling school and I'm going to finish out that year and I'm going to just see where it goes. And we got to talking about action figures, people buying pictures of me, people wanting copies of my mask, people raising their hands up because obviously I had little gloves that had the little USA flag on them and stuff like that. And they were gesturing it out into the crowd and stuff like that. So it was really cool just to see how much you, you can really touch somebody. Yeah. And like now you just said, if you could just help one person, that would be your success story to it. Absolutely. That's how I felt with wrestling because I felt like if I can help someone that had one of the worst days on the planet, come to this show, pay 12 to $10 or whatever the show costs, and I could help them escape of what what happened in the reality of them and it make their night. That's that's what we're there for. Absolutely. Amen. And yeah. that's, that's how I always lived my moments for that way. Like how people always ask me, like, hey, what's your favorite match and stuff? I was like, honestly, just the story of some of the fans that would tell me, like one person told me I helped him fight cancer and stuff like that. And it's just like you get it in a perspective like, wow. The, you have a purpose to what we're doing. Obviously, we're not in WWE making the big bucks like everybody else, but you still are touching kids. You are still moving crowds like WWE guys would do. Like kids see us as like superheroes. Yeah. And that's how we always have seen wrestling. Obviously, wrestling has kind of like dropped down to the little guys and stuff now, but still, like, I always saw wrestling as like as a larger than life superhero type look. Yeah. And that's how I kind of saw like Playboy models and stuff like that. I was like, man, like it's got to be really like out of all the women in the world, like to be on a centerfold and be labeled as a play, a Playboy model. That's got to be really a huge achievement because I mean, Hef has seen everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. If you really want to think about it, like Hef has seen the prettiest girls on the planet. And obviously he is very picky on who he picks. Yes. yes. <laughs> he has an eye for sure. 
Oh man, that's that, so funny. I mean, Deborah, this is gonna blast today. Um, yeah, I do want to finish on talk a little bit about your book and how how can people follow you and stuff like. That? I would say the best way to follow me is on Instagram, and it's my name. All my social media is at my name, Deborah Driggs, and my journey. I'm gonna start being more uh, productive and posting things about my journey and a lot of before and afters and things leading up to my book are going to be posted on Instagram. And again, the release is going to be the end of summer. Uh, I'm rewriting it as we speak. And yeah, this pandemic has really, has really been a gift for me as far as, you know, being able to stay home and be with my family and do a lot of writing and reflecting. So I've had, you know, just a really amazing 2020 and 2021 has been fantastic. And, you know, for everybody out there that's, you know, been kind of stuck in, you know, just try to find the blessing in it because it has definitely changed the way we do things in life and, you know, big shift. It's a reset button. It's a reset, it's a reset button, button for like moving anybody like, because I mean, I see it as like how movies are stuff. I, I, in my honest opinion, I believe that directors and people have lost the creativity of making movies in ways because of all these remakes that we have so much. And I'm like, now we should be refreshed. We should be ready to go yep. again. And, with, and like, we are. We I are. That, but I mean, I always see that as that because I tell people all the time, like COVID really helped me in a way because like how I said, I only got my son like four or five, three to four times a year because he was in school. And for COVID, I got him almost a whole year. Like that was the first time I ever could really say I had my son for such a long time. Like I even got to experience school stuff and I've never even went to his school or stuff like that. So that was like a really cool experience for me in ways. So it's like COVID was in a way positive. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think in life, it's really the best way to do anything is just to look at what's positive. What, 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 what can we be grateful for? And, and, you know, it's the only way it's the best way it'll, it'll serve you best to just look at the positive. And I know a lot of people out there lost their business and they suffered during this time, but if we can try to find the grace and the beauty and, and all of that in there, there's always a lesson, you know, in every situation and, and believe me, I am, I am here to tell you that my business definitely took a huge hit this last year. Mm -hmm. So I have much empathy and compassion for people out there who have lost loved ones or lost their business or whatever. But we will, we will, you know, we will rise from this and it'll be stronger than ever. And, and, um, that's my story. And I, you know, thank you so much for having me on your show and letting me be, be a part of your journey and good luck to you and your son and your family and on this beautiful weekend. And yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. No doubt, Deborah. This was an honor. Like this was really cool. Like I got so much of a different perspective and so many things. And like I tell people all the time, it's like what I learn from every episode that I record. And, and I tell people all the time, like, that's what actually keeps motivating me to keep doing these is because I learned something. If I'm not learning from a recording, then what am I doing? Yeah. And it's crazy to just know what I get to 
see and like I the way you were talking and stuff I got to basically be inside your shoes and just live on from what you have went through and stuff like that and it was a beautiful thing like it was it was really cool just to see like all the stuff that you've done and what achievements that you've come and just see how much more you've elevated up every single time. Like there's times like where you would be at your toppest moments. And then obviously when you had your divorce and stuff, obviously that had to be really tough in times for you to actually build yourself back up and be like, you know what, I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to start working now. I'm going to start providing and not have to worry on people else. And for you to see where you're at now, that it's just a, a thank you. And um, Deborah, I will tell you this right now. You are more than welcome to ever come back on here uh but i totally appreciate you doing this and i hope you have a thank great you day. so much god bless you thank you bye-bye thank you Bye. and have a good all right all right time to get the go home cue first and foremost i'd like to thank deborah Driggs for coming on today and just educating us man on so much things uh, educating the main purpose of what Playboy was made out there to be, uh, talking about Hugh Hefner, talking about her life acting, talking about her getting her SAG card, talking about her business that she is now in. Congratulations to her on that and being successful at it. Uh, it's truly remarkable. Uh, I hope nothing but the best for Deborah as well. And y'all look out for her book coming out. Um, her book is starting to come out soon, so get ready to check that thing out because, man, I'm telling you right now, that girl, that that woman literally opened my eyes in so many ways on the, the words hard work and never giving up. That sounds very cliche in ways, guys, but that symbolizes what this episode, I thought, meant because her being told, hey... You're too short to be a model. Hey, you're not gonna you're not gonna succeed in this and to find out all the accomplishments that she's had. Truly remarkable. Truly remarkable, guys. Uh just basically saying, hey, if you stick to your mind to it and you put all the effort and everything you can into it, hard work does pay off, guys. It may not always pay off, but in ways it does. And there's always a purpose for the work that you put in so amazing amazing story about deborah driggs uh just for her to come on here and basically be an open book about it was just awesome uh and some of the questions that i asked her were a little a little maybe intense in ways but for her to have that awesome personality and just to keep just being okay with some of the questions and stuff was just truly awesome truly amazing and it was it was it was really cool guys to I'm not even gonna lie to interview a woman that literally is graced on playboy uh i mean if you want to be real man playboy is probably the most most record selling magazine on the planet before internet and stuff like that for her to be around those years too was amazing too because obviously that's only how you were going to get into nowhere or commercials that she was on or possible movie gigs that she could have been on and stuff like that that's the only way y'all really have gotten to know most of these awesome people is just from magazines and just stuff on tv because 
Lord have mercy. Once upon a time, there was no internet or anything just to keep up based off of everyone's life. So it's crazy to see just how amazing lifestyles are like that and then just see what the real reality looks like in that lifestyle and just seeing just all the positive things that she has seen and done in in there and and even more of what she's doing now with life insurance and stuff like that is just really awesome and just to show to tell you hey man she's not she had her her chapter book has not ended yet and may have went from playboy centerfold model actress whatever you want to say to now successful life insurance businesswoman uh top five percent really a remarkable thing um it was just truly amazing to have deborah on and just come on here and just having an amazing chat with us but it's time to wrap it up guys i hope everyone enjoyed this i hope we didn't bore y'all i hope y'all got some some awesome info on this because i really was i was really intrigued of what i found out today from this because i found out so much of a different perspective on so many things and it just makes it and that just makes our episode even more awesome just from stuff that you learn every time you do these things it's just really remarkable but guys hope everyone has a great weekend and yellow alone guys just have an awesome friday uh let's and it's off like we always do. I hope everyone washes their hands. Stay safe. Stay clean. Do what you got to do. Protect what you got. And I will be back when I have more bazzzz down the road. Later. buzzing with marlo uh if you haven't i know with any platform that you are on uh to keep having us grow more and more uh we are so grateful that we've gotten the iheart radio gig we would like everyone to like subscribe and just add our channel it helps us keep growing more and more also leave five star review uh, leave reviews um what we also do is post little messages leave us messages of what how y'all think about each episode what y'all what y'all got out of it what what do y'all want us to talk about what do you want us to kind of get the topics on a little bit i mean it's anything and everything so like i said everyone please like and subscribe on any platform that you are listening to us on we greatly appreciate it also stay tuned every friday for buzzing with marlo thank y'all and have a blessed day Thank you.